Some holding the papers before their eyes stood waiting for a, a particular wool clip to come up. Others wrote at their desks. Each had trained himself to jerk in a flash from watchful relaxation into spread-eagled yelling urgency. Many of them smoked continuously, and Flossie Rubric saw them through drifts of blue tobacco clouds. In the open doorways and under the gallery stood groups of men whose faces and hands were raddled and creased by the sun, and whose clothes were those of the countryman in town. They were the wool-growers, the run-holders, the sheep-cockies, the back-countrymen. Upon the behaviour of the buyers, their manner of living for the next twelve months would depend. The wool-sale was what it all amounted to. Long musters over high country, nights spent by shepherds in tin huts on mountainsides, late snows that came down into lambing paddocks, Noisy rituals of dipping, crutching, shearing. The final down-country journey of the wool bales. This was the brief and final comment on the sheepman's working year. Flossie saw her husband, Arthur Rubric, standing in a doorway. She waved vigorously. The men who were with Arthur pointed her out. He gave her a dubious nod and began to make his way along a side aisle towards her. As soon as he reached the steps that led from the auditorium up to her doorway, she called out in a sprightly manner. "'Look where I've got to! Come up and join me!' He did so, but without enthusiasm. "'What are you doing up here, Floss?' he said. "'You ought to have gone down below.' "'Down below wouldn't suit me at all. Everyone's looking at you.' "'That doesn't embarrass me,' she said loudly. "'When will he get to a starling?' "'Show me!' "'Shush!' said her husband unhappily, and handed her his catalogue. Flossie made play with her lorgnette. She flipped it open modishly with white-gloved hand, and looked through it at the lists. There was a simultaneous flutter of white paper throughout the hall. "'Over we go, I see,' said Flossie, and turned a page. "'Now where are we?' Her husband grunted urgently and jerked up his head. Lot 180, gabbled the auctioneer. Thirteen! Half, yelled old Ormerod. Three! Fourteen! The spectacled Mr. Curata Khan was on his feet, yelping a fraction of a second quicker than Ormerod. Top price! cried Flossie shrilly. Top price! Isn't it, darling? We've got top price, haven't we? That dear little Jap! A ripple of laughter ran through the hall. The auctioneer grinned. The two men near the stage door moved away, their hands over their mouths. Arthur Rubric's face, habitually cyanosed, deepened to a richer purple. Flossie clapped her white gloves together and rose excitedly. "'Isn't he too sweet?' she demanded. "'Arthur, isn't he a pet?' "'Flossie, for God's sake,' Arthur Rubric muttered. But Flossie made a series of crisp little nods in the direction of Mr. Curata Khan, and at last succeeded in attracting his attention. His eyelids creased, his upper lip lifted in a crescent over his long teeth, and he bowed. There, said Flossie in triumph, as she swept out at the stage door, followed by her discomfited husband. Isn't that splendid? He piloted her into a narrow yard. I wish you wouldn't make me quite so conspicuous, my dear, he said. I mean, waving to that 
Jep, we don't know him or anything. No, cried Fossie, but we're going to. You're going to call on him, darling, and we shall ask him to Mount Moon for the weekend. Oh, no, Flossie, why? Why on earth? I'm all for promoting friendly relations. Besides, he's paid top price for my wool. He's a sensible man. I want to meet him. Grinning little pipsqueak. I don't like him, Floss. Do you in the eye for tuppence, the Japs would, any day. There aren't natural enemies. Darling, you're absolutely antidiluvian. Before we know where we are, you'll be talking about the Yellow Peril. <laughs> she tossed her head, and a lock of hair dyed a brilliant gold slipped down her forehead. Do remember, this is 1939, said Flossie.